Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. You did Thanks so much. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Boy, it is good to be here. Finally, we're getting down to business. I'll tell you, last night I was uh, getting ready to come, and, and my daughter came up, Bree, who's at Biola, she came up, and she said, Dad, it begins today, doesn't it? And I said, it really does. You know, there's all this other stuff. I mean, there's a lot of things that we're doing. It was great and having a great time together, but it all begins today because today we go into God's word together, and that's what it's all about, to hear his voice and to respond to him and to learn how to follow him and to be like him. And I'm so excited to be here and so excited to uh, be, uh, have the privilege really of teaching. And so what I'd like to do is open with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive in. Let's go. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives, and thank you for the plans you have for Rocky Peak. God, you know how deeply grateful that Lynn and I are to be part of those plans. And we just thank you, Lord, as a congregation, as we come, as we start this journey together. Today, we just want to stand and we just want to say before you that we belong to you, that this is all about you, that we're here to hear your voice, to follow and to obey, and to be turned into your followers, to become like you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, if you were here last, uh, last month when I was here on the candidating weekend, uh, I mentioned I was starting a new series. It was called Nine Laws to Live By. And uh, I, if you remember, I said, well, um, you'll decide whether I, I give that series here or somewhere else. And you decided it was going to be here. So I'm back. But you can see that uh, these, these laws have expanded. We've gone from 9 to 11. Um, and some of you have wondered, I'm sure, if, if this is the only series I have. You know, and so... <laughs> We're just going to keep on adding them as time goes on. Like Law 52, um, you know, be nice to your kids. You know, it's a core value. Um, and uh, that's really not the case. I just want to get it right. And actually what happened is I was up at Palomar Mountain a week ago and just did a personal retreat before he came last weekend to be installed. And in the middle of the night, I'm up praying and, and uh, reading the word. And this law just comes. And I'm like, I can't believe I forgot this one. It was just so core. And so we've got 11 now. I'm not promising it's the last. I hope so. It's very embarrassing to come back and have all the literature wrong. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, we're going to be launching into this series today, 11 Laws to Live By. And as I explained when I was here last time, when I talk about 11 laws, I'm not talking about laws in a legalistic sense, like, like laws of the land, the, t the sort of law that if you break it, you get thrown into jail. I'm talking more about the law of, like laws of nature. And you know how the laws of nature work? They just describe how life works. So for example, the law of gravity, what goes up must come down. down. Very good. Uh, the law of motion, uh, for every action, there's an equal and opposite Reaction, okay. Uh, so water freezes at 32 and it boils at, <laughs> a little tough there, huh? Yeah, 212, at sea level. Um, yeah. If you're backpacking, it doesn't work that way. But anyway, um, but anyway, so the laws of nature, they just describe this is how life works. It's not the sort of thing you break them, you get in trouble. It just says this is how life works. Well, the laws that we're talking about, the 11 laws to live by, are that kind of a law. Uh, whereas the laws of nature describe how life works in the physical realm, the laws of, uh, that we're to live by are, are laws that describe how life works in the spiritual realm, in what I like to call our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with one another. And so here's the plan. Every week we're going to come and we're going to unpack one 
of these laws together. And I'm very excited about this because as I shared before, these are just core values of mine. This is sort of who I am. And, and as I lead here at Rocky Peak, as we start this journey together, I think it's so important that we start off kind of going over our list together. Okay, are we on the same page? And these will be the values that will lead us in the years to come. Notice I said years. All right. <laughs> now, uh, today, uh, we're looking at law number one, which is always a good place to start a series. And so it's called the law of life, and it goes like this. Let's fill in some blanks. The law number one says the word of God is a path to life. In other words, if you want to get the most out of life, if you want to live life to the fullest, if you want to have that abundant life that Jesus came to give us, then, then the key is to live life according to the word. In Psalm 119, 105, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet. It's there on your note sheet, by the way. And it's a light for my path. In other words, as we go through life, this dark world, God has given us a flashlight. He's given us a lantern. He's given us a lamp. And he says, just follow where this leads you. You know, just stay on the path. Follow where my word leads you, and you will be safe, and you will get the most out of life. Now, the passage I want to start with today uh, for us to look at is, it, is a very important passage in my own life. It's Joshua chapter 1. And I'd like you to turn there. I told you to bring your Bibles, and if you didn't bring your Bible, then you're going to start to feel uncomfortable now. It's, pretty, it's going to last about 45 minutes. Um, later on in the day, I'm going to be talking about, um, uh, we actually, this is crazy. This week I thought, you know what we need to do is we need to buy these things, you know, these Bible tabs. You know, some of you know what those are. The Bible tabs that go on the side of your Bibles, and they kind of help you, you know. And if you're really new at this, it's the coolest thing in the world. Because like for about five bucks, you no longer have to feel out of place at church. You know, you put them on your Bible, and you feel cool. You know, so, like, where else can you pay five bucks and, and play, be cool, you know, other than Starbucks? But, um, so, so last night, so this week, we special ordered in Bible tabs for those of you who are just learning your way around the word. And, uh, and we, I, you know, I guess thinking low, I ordered them from Massachusetts and uh, bought 50 of them. We sold out in, like, five minutes last night. Seriously. And so I'll be talking about those more later, but um, you snooze, you lose. Uh, <laughs> we're going to actually order a bunch more for next week, and I'll talk more about that later. But anyway, okay, Joshua 1, where were we? Uh, Joshua chapter 1 is a great passage. Let me set the stage. It's a, it's a transition passage. Israel was going through a major transition in their life, much like we're going through a major transition here at Rocky Peak. Their transition was going from 40 years in the wilderness to the promised land, crossing the Jordan, the promised land, and, and moving from the leadership of Moses to the leadership of Joshua. Now, they had um, also gone through a transition 40 years earlier, but they had blown that transition. 40 years earlier, they'd come out of Egypt, out of slavery, and God's plan A was for them to move from Egypt into the promised land in about two years' time. But they blew that transition. They didn't do life by the book. They didn't follow God's instructions. And as a result, they spent the next 38 years wandering in the wilderness, which is always what happens when we don't follow God's instructions in our life. And so now they get a second shot. That generation's died. Moses has died. They've got a new leader. It's time to move on. God is giving them a second chance to move into what I like to call his preferred future for them. And they don't want to blow it this time. And God comes to Joshua, his man, his leader, and he says, I've got some instructions. And so in the first eight verses, he tells them, here's what it's going to take for you to do this transition well. Let's look at it. The first seven verses are uh, some amazing promises that he makes. He says, uh, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, verse 1, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, which is such a bummer name. 
I mean, can you, can you imagine growing up, who's your dad? None. <laughs> Come again. Um, so his whole life, he had to live with that. But anyway, and so it says in verse 2, Moses, my servant's dead. So we're entering a new era. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give them to the Israelites. And here comes the first amazing promise. He says, I, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Isn't that amazing? I mean, every place you go, you're going to win. Every battle, you're going to win. I'm going to be with you. And then he lays out their territory, and he, he does it in geographic terms or more obvious to them than to us, but they're really north, south, east, west terms. He says, your, ter- your territory will extend from the desert, that'd be in the south, the Negev in the south, to Lebanon, that'd be the north, from the great river, the Euphrates, that'd be the east, all the Hittite country to the great sea, that'd be the Mediterranean Sea on the west. And so he outlines, here's where I'm giving you. And now here comes another amazing promise. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. So be strong and be courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land. I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be very strong and very courageous. Now let me, let me ask you, if you woke up tomorrow morning and God appeared at your bedside and gave you that, those promises, would you be pretty, much, pretty excited about that? I mean, I'm totally there. It's like that even includes the Dodgers winning the pennant. You know what I'm saying? It's like that just kind of covers it. Everything in your life is going to go, well, I'm just going to bless you. And so he starts with these amazing promises of what God wants to do. And it's exactly like in our life. That God comes to us as we come to Christ and he says, I want to bless your life. I've got some amazing plans for your life. But then come the conditions. And I want you to see the conditions. It's always important to read the small print, isn't it? And so in the middle of verse 7, he says, now here's the conditions. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Think of, he says, think of my word as like guardrails of your life. You're not going to go off to the right. You're not going to go off to the left. Uh, At this point in time, uh, Moses had written the first five books of the Bible. Matthew, (laughs) Matthew, that's good. Very good, Mike. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Let's try it again. Uh, Take two. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He's written five books. If you went to a Bible bookstore at Mount Sinai, that's all you could get. Very small little Bible, fit in your back pocket. You know, you don't even have to get the large print. It was all large print. So he says, he says, here's the key to your success is don't, don't mess with God's word. And he says that, notice in verse seven, that you may be successful wherever you go. Now underline that, successful wherever you'll go. We'll come back to that principle. He says the key to success in our life is to not turn from God's word to the right or to the left. Now verse eight, he says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. In those days when they would read the word, they would usually read out loud, not silently. So it's a way of saying, you know, reading it out loud. And he says, meditate on it, how often? Good, day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then you will be prosperous and successful. I want you to notice the order of events. He says, first of all, I want you to meditate on it, make sure you know it, and then that will enable you to do it, and then that will lead to success. You catch that order? You gotta know it, you you gotta learn it, and then you gotta do it, and then you get success. We'll come back to that later on. And then he ends up, and he says, um, 
have I not, verse nine, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord God, your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, let's, uh, let's jump in. There's a section there on your note sheet called Doing Life by the Book, and, and often what I'll do, what I'll teach is we'll go through the scripture like we just did, and we'll, we'll, we'll lay out some things, make sure we're on the same page. I'll wait for the slower flippers. Like somebody was waking up. What's that noise? What's that noise? Oh my gosh, the page is turning. There's no other explanation because all it is is like this, you know? <laughs> so I just wonder, like, how does it take a minute? Anyway. <laughs> okay, whatever. So uh, what I'll often do is, is we'll walk through the scripture together. We'll look at what it says, make sure we follow the train of thought, and then we're going to say, what are the principles for our life? So here are the principles. Let's, let's break it down. Two things stand out to me from this passage we just looked at. Number one is that obeying God's word is the secret of success. That's the first thing that just leaps off the page to me. That over and over again, we see in this passage that God says, if you want to be successful in your life, and the way I'm describing, defining success is accomplishing God's plan for your life, okay? There's no, there's no better definition of success than that. And if you want to accomplish God's plan for your life, you want to live the fulfilled life, the key is to do life by the book, so obeying God's word. Now, it's true for Joshua, it's true for us. You know, the last time that we were together, we looked at a passage of scripture that I printed on your notes. It's Psalm 119.32. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture. Where the psalmist says, I run in the path of your commands for you have set my heart free. It's a beautiful statement. It's exactly the opposite of the way we often naturally think about God's commands and God's word. I think if we're honest with ourselves, that many times that we don't run in the path of God's commands, we walk slowly in the path of God's commands, or we kind of walk grudgingly, or sometimes we, don't get, we get off the path altogether. And the reason is, is that we often see God's commands as something that are designed to limit us, to take the fun out of life. Often we see God's commands, as I mentioned last month, as restrictive rather than protective. And what the psalmist is saying is, no, 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 once you, get, you start seeing clearly, what you'll understand is that God's word, God's commands are there to free us. And once you get that, you will no longer resist them. You will no longer resent them, but you will run in them. You know, when uh, our daughters were young, you, you got to meet our daughters last week, and then when they were young, we, we lived at a, a house. In fact, we still live at this house, sort of, um, until Monday. But uh, it has a, it's, it's a long um, flag, has a flag lot. So it, it, it's on a street, uh, as most homes are, and um, the, the it has a long driveway that goes back, and then there's a lot, and then it turfs, turfs around, and there's a big lot. It's like a third of an acre, um, which is much bigger than the 9,000 square feet we have here, but that's another story. Um, anyway, um, so it's this long flag lot, and, and our kids would love to ride their bikes when they were small. You know, they would ride their bikes up and down, but the thing that was this dangerous about this lot is that the driveway was bordered on one side with huge oleanders that are about 10 feet tall, and the other side is bordered by another home. And so what would happen is you really can't see what's happening in the driveway until you turn in the driveway. So if you're driving along the street, you turn in the driveway, you're probably 10 feet into the driveway before you see what's coming. 
And so you can imagine with little girls that, that we had to set a boundary for them. And we had to say, you can only go down so far on the driveway. And there was this house right there. And the house had this faucet with a hose on it. And that was the rule. You couldn't go past the faucet. And oh, how they hated that rule. It was just so frustrating to them. You know, it's like life would be so much better if we could go all the way to the street. You know, what a bummer. You have to do a U-turn in the middle of the street. And it's just a very frustrating thing in their life. Well, the thing was, when they're five years old, six years old, seven years old, they just didn't understand how life worked. And we're older and wiser, and so we could see, we could just picture this in our mind's eye. If you ride down that road, there's going to come a day when someone pulls in that driveway, and you're going to be killed, and you're going to lose your life, or you're going to be injured in a major way. And so we had to say, this far and no much farther. We had to say, thou shalt not pass the faucet upon pain of death. It was like rule number 11 of the Ten Commandments. You know, we got 11 here, we have 11 there. Now, they understand it? No, they didn't understand it. But you know what? They're still alive today because of that law. <laughs> and you know, God comes into our life, he does the same thing. He says things like, you will be faithful to your spouse. He says things like, I want you to tell the truth, always. He says, I want you to be a man or a woman of integrity. He says, I, I want you to turn off that computer and, and not look at internet porn. He says, I want you to, when it comes to your giving, I want you to be a generous person. And I, I think if we're honest, that we all have times in our life we feel like that is so restrictive. I don't want to stop there at the faucet. I, I want to go further in my life. I want to do life differently. I don't want to run in the path of your commands. I want to go a different route. But see, here's the principle. Is that God's commands are always there to protect us. Always. He's always looking out for your best interest. And once you catch this, instead of resisting, instead of resenting, you start running. Because you understand that God's word is the path to life. It is the fastest, quickest shortcut to have the life that you were intended to have. Now, I don't want to just say that and leave it there. I want to show you that in the Word. So let's do a little Bible study. Let's take your Bibles, turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4. Now, some of you are saying, boy, I wish I had those tabs right now. And all you have to do is wait one week, one week, and we'll have them. Five bucks, you know, what a deal. You order them today, we'll throw in the blender. Okay, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Now, this, the book of Deuteronomy is, is from the, the whole thing's from Moses, his final sermon to the nation of Israel before they go into the promised land. So he's still alive. They're right before the time of Joshua. Now, it says in verse 1 Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them, and I want you to catch this follow them so that you may what? That you live. You see that? Follow them so that you may live. And you may go in and take possession of the land. God's word is the path to life. Follow them so you may live. Now look at verse two. This is great. You know, in, in life, there's a couple things that we can do to mess up God's word. I don't know if you knew this. God's word does not guarantee you life. Knowing God's word doesn't guarantee you life. Sometimes we think you die. We think it's just, if you know the Bible, you'll, you'll have abundant life. There's no guarantee of that. There's a couple things, we, we, a couple mistakes that are common in the Christian community that rob us of the life he has, even though we know the word. And here, here they are. In verse two, he says, here's two things we're not to do. We're not to add to what I command you, and we're not to subtract from it, but we're to keep the commands of the Lord your God. 
two mistakes we can make in the Christian community. We can add to God's word and we can take away from God's word. Well, how do we add? Well, we add to God's word when we say, thus says the Lord when the Lord has not spoken on an issue. This happens in the Christian community all the time. The technical name for it is legalism. Legalism happens when we add to God's word, something he has not said, and we act as if all Christians everywhere should follow it. This is God's will for your life. That is legalism. The Pharisees were masters at this, weren't they? They would add to God's word. It wasn't good enough that God said, hey, take it one day off a week and honor me this Sabbath. They had to define that down to the gnat's eyebrow to where it became a, a, a day of pain instead of a day of rest, you see? And so we can add, have you ever experienced that in your own life or maybe in the Christian community where someone says Christians should always or Christians should never? And it's like, excuse me, um, I don't see that in the word, you see? And when we add to God's word, you know what it does is it becomes a burdensome thing in our life. It's, it, it just squishes the joy out of life. It kills us. When I met with the elders here during our interview process at that ungodly hour, um, I think they gave me a break. We started at six in the morning. Like, who interviews people at six in the morning? I mean, I should have known right there, run, Forrest, run, you know. But, uh, it's, you know, it's like, whatever. So, but anyway, you know, they asked me a million questions, which, which is great. They did a great job of interviewing, by the way. But uh, they asked me a million questions, and, and shortly in, I was quoting one of my favorite verses in the Bible. You're going to study it in your life group homework this week. It's Proverbs 35 and 6. And you don't have to turn there. I just, I'll just quote it for you. It says that every word of God is flawless. Do not add to his word, lest he rebuke you and prove you a liar. And yet all the time, we can do that, can't we? Hey, Christians should never, Christians should always. Lifestyle issues, dress code issues, music style issues, you know? Do you have an earring? Do you not have any? Whatever, you know? It's like we just add stuff to God's word. And all of a sudden we wake up one day and the Christian life is a burden because we have put all this heavy load, Jesus called it a heavy load on our shoulders that we were never intended to bear. But there's another way that the word of God can bring death to us and that's when we subtract from God's word. And here's uh, subtracting. Subtracting happens like this. When you say, well, I know the Bible says that, but you know, it's a different time. It's a different age. You know, no one really does that, right? And so we pick and choose which parts of God's word. We like this part. We happen to agree with that. Isn't that cool? This part over here, we're not sure we really like that. That's different than my opinion before I came to the word. And so I'm not sure I'm really gonna follow that. And so we subtract from God's word. Either way, it can kill us. So God's word is the path to life. He says, don't add, don't subtract. Let's look at another one. Uh, Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, it's the very end of the address from Moses. And, and Moses says, uh, in verse 45, it says, when Moses had finished reciting all these words, some of you are going, I wish I had those tabs. Yeah, next week, next week. Okay, I'm just building up to this, just creating a hunger. It's the first step of creating change. Create a hunger for change. Okay, uh, verse 45. When, when Moses finished reciting all the words to Israel, 
He said to them, take to heart the words that I solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. Now look what he says. They are not just idle words for you. They are your what? Your life. These aren't idle words for you. This book is not an idle book. They're not idle words. This book spells out the path to life. And every week, we're going to gather here and we're going to unfold his word. And we're going to say, Jesus, will you show us the path to life this week? Show us how to live life this week in such a way that I can experience the life you created me to live. And that I can bring honor to you. You see, they're not idle words. They are your life. Let's look at one more. Let's go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4. It's the right in your Bible. About the middle. For as those of you without tabs, it's after Psalms. Now, Proverbs is a book that's written from Solomon, King Solomon. It's written to his, his sons, giving them wisdom. And so he often says, it's the Father's advice talking, but I'll tell you, every time I read it, I can't but hear our Heavenly Father's voice speaking to me through it. You know, it's really like God's the Father says. And in verse one, it says, listen, my son, to a father's instruction, pay attention and gain understanding. Verse 13, hold on to instruction, do not let it go, guard it well, for it is your what? Your life. He says, hold on to this instruction, it's your life. Verse 20, my son, pay attention to what I say, listen closely to my words, do not let them out of your sight, keep them within your heart, for they are what? They are life to those who find them and health to a whole man's body, to a man's whole body. So, God's word is a path to life. Obeying it is the key to success. That's the first principle that flows out of Joshua chapter one. Do life by the book and if you wanna be successful. Now the second, the second principle. Second principle goes like this, that flows out of Joshua one, is that it's our job to know the book. And this is very important. In other words, success is not automatic. Just because you love Jesus and Jesus wants to bless your life, it doesn't mean your life is going to be blessed. There's a condition. The condition is that we do life by the book, and it's our responsibility to know the book. We can't do what we don't know. Let's look at this in Joshua 1 again. In Joshua 1, verse 8, I want you to see how serious God is about this. He says in verse 8, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it again. How often? Day and night. Now, you tell me, there are very few things that we do day and night. Uh, we breathe day and night. Um, our heart beats day and night. Um, we probably eat more than we should day and night. <laughs> But there's very few things that we do day and night. And God says, one of those things, Joshua, is to meditate on my word. Now, why? This is something I think that in the Christian community we've often not understood. Oftentimes, we have thought that there is some sort of value in just meditating on God's word or knowing God's word just for the sake of knowing it. And so we measure maturity by, do you know the word? If I quote a verse, do you know where it's found? That's not what it's about. We're to meditate in order to do. We're to study so we know how to do life. Notice this. He says, meditate on it day and night. Why? So you can be really bright? No. So that you may be careful to do 
everything written there, and then you'll be prosperous and successful. See, there's an order. You study the book so you can do the book so you can be successful. You study the book and you don't do the book, no success. You don't study the book, you can't do the book, and you won't have success. You have to study the book and do the book to have success. Okay. You know, this is exactly what happened in Israel's experience. They, they, came, they crossed the Jordan. You remember that as Joshua led them across the Jordan, God gave them very specific instructions for their first battle at, at Jericho. First battle, uh, he said there's a march around the city a particular kind of way, then the walls would fall down. They followed his instructions to the T. Sure enough, the walls fall down. They have a tremendous victory, only one problem. God had also given them uh, something they were not supposed to do. What he said is, this, when you go into Jericho, I want you to think of it like the first fruits of a harvest. You know, you're going to this promised land, you're gonna be harvesting cities. I want you to think of it like the first fruits of a harvest. And, and we know that the first fruits in life go to the Lord. And so in the, when you come to the city of, of Jericho, uh, what I want you to do is all the, the spoils of battle, they all go to me. You don't take anything. After that, it's gonna be all yours. But first, you kind of tithe off the top sort of thing. You know, it's like it, it, the first comes to me, first fruits. And so there was one, everyone obeyed except one man. His name was Achan. Achan's walking through the spoils. He sees some Rolex watches, gold Rolex watches. You know, he, he sees some designer clothes over here. And he just can't resist. And he thinks, who will know? No one will know. And so he goes ahead and he takes the watches and he takes his clothes and he takes the bars of gold and, and he hides them under his tent. Next battle comes up, a small little battle, a town of Ai. Joshua, they send some men up there, not even that many, they're so confident. And they get their tails kicked. And they have a major defeat. And Joshua comes back and says, God, what about the promises? You said every foot Every place I put my foot is ours. You said no one will be able to stand. We just got our tails kicked. What in the world is going on? And he is freaking out. He is on his face, ready to quit the job. And God says, stand up, act like a man. Here's what has happened. Someone didn't do life by the book. And they had to go back and they had to clean up that situation and, and deal with Achan and his family who had hidden that, that, those uh, spoils of battle. And then once again, they went on to have victory after victory after victory. See, God wanted to bless their lives, but they had to do life by the book. Now, let me tell you, this is exactly how it works in our life. So many times we come to God and we, we know that we, once we step over the line to give Jesus the steering wheel of our life, we give our lives to Christ that we know that he wants to bless our lives. Many times we wake up and we say, why is God not blessing my life? My life is falling apart. It's not getting blessed. Why is that happening? And God is up there going, I said you would be successful, but you have to do life by the book. Then you're violating the rules of life. You're violating the laws of life. Let me give you some examples here. And just, just to illustrate this, here on your note sheet, I put some verses. The first one's on parenting. You know, I, you know, I think if you're a parent, we all want to raise good kids. You know, well-adjusted kids, love people, love God, energetic, creative kids, and whatever. And so the Bible tells us one of the ingredients to do that. Many ingredients, but one of the ingredients, if you're raising kids, especially if you have young kids right now, I want to speak to you on this, is you have to have clear boundaries in their life. What's okay, what isn't okay, what the consequences are going to be. You have to hold those consistently. Kids have to learn 
to say no to themselves. So the way you do that as a parent is you enforce pain in their life to help them learn how to say no to themselves. And so Proverbs says, the rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Now let me tell you, there's a lot of writing out there, there's a lot of teaching out there in our culture today that says you never want to discipline a child, you never want to say no to a child, you don't want to damage your fragile self-ego, their self-image, you don't want to put boundaries on their life, you don't want to undercut their creativity, and so you never want to say no to your kids. You never want to put boundaries. And so, we come to God and we pray every day, God, would you bless my family and would you raise my kids and would you, would you help my kids to grow up to be respectful people, creative people, and God so much wants to do it, but we are violating the principles. We're not holding them accountable. And guess what? Those kids grow up and they become a disgrace to their mother and father. And then we say, God, where were you? I thought you said every place where I set the foot, my foot would be successful. I thought you, you see what I'm saying? And what we've done is we've not done life by the book. How about our finances? So many times we pray that God would bless our finances. Well, God's given us certain principles in his word. Here's how to be blessed in your finances. There on your note sheet, I put one of them. You think I'm gonna talk about giving, I'm not. I'll say that for next week. Uh, just kidding. Uh, Proverbs 21.20, it says, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil but a foolish man devours all he has. And God says, the wise person doesn't eat up all his assets. They, they save some things out. They, they, don't, they don't spend more than they make. That's how a wise person does it. He says, now a fool will eat everything they have. They'll spend everything they make and more. And of course, we've created a whole industry so we can do this now, right, with our, our credit cards and living off our credit cards. And so many times we'll come and we'll say, God, would you bless our life financially? We're in such a hole here. You, know, you said that you would provide all of our needs according to your riches and glory. Would you fulfill your word in our life? And God is saying, you gotta do your life by the book. You know, yes, I wanna bless your life financially, but I've laid out how to have it blessed. You know, if you spend more than you make, I cannot bless that. You see what I'm saying? So we could just go on and on with examples. So here's one more. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 18. There's so many of you. Some of you are single. Maybe you're, uh, there's not too many probably high schoolers in here yet, but next service there will be. But some of you are single, and you would love to meet someone and have God bless that relationship and, and have God create and, and build a love that will last a lifetime. Well, one of the things God has been very clear about his word is the importance of sexual purity. He said that if you want to build a love that, that lasts a lifetime, you want to do romance the right way, th then this is just a non-negotiable. In fact, he says there, look what, what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, flee, run from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. In other words, there's a unique price we pay for sexual sin, unlike any other sin. It's so much a part of core of who we are that when we start messing around sexually, it destroys the fabric of our soul. And we will come to God and we will say, God, will you bless this relationship? And yet we'll be violating the book of how to be blessed. We're going past the faucet, you see. And we keep getting smashed and beat up in life. As the cars of life come around the corner and they flatten us and we say, God, would you heal me? <laughs> and 
And yes, he will. He loves you. He will heal you. He can restore you. But in this and this, so many other areas of life, he says, are you doing life by the book? Now, okay, I want to get real practical now. In the time we have left, I want to talk about how to work God's word into your life. Uh, several years ago, probably five, six, seven years ago, uh, we decided to, uh, to redo our front yard, re-landscape our front yard. And this was uh, before we, we re-landscaped or uh, remodeled our, our whole kitchen and inside the house last year. Um, <clears throat> did I ever mention uh, how I put moldings around the whole house and, uh, you know, really nice moldings and, and cased out all the doors and um, put windowsills in all the windows and, and granite in the kitchen. And uh, not that I'm bitter. I'm just not that I'm bitter, just saying. Um, anyway, so several years ago, we, we, before, before that pain came into my life, um, we were going to redo our front yard and, and it, the grass had never grown well there. Nothing had grown well there and the reason was the soil was bad soil. It was hard soil, adobe soil and, uh, and just things wouldn't grow and so I knew the first step was to get things to grow was I, need, I needed to um, kind of work some soil amendments into the soil and so I did that. It about killed me but I bought amended topsoil. If you've never done this before, I mean to pay money for dirt, you know, it's just very painful. So I, I got all this amended topsoil and I bought compost and I bought gypsum and I bought um, different fertilizers. And I took that hard soil and I, I got a rototiller, a big rototiller, and I began to work all those amendments into the soil and break up that hard soil. And I just worked it in and worked it in and worked it in and the more I worked it, the more beautiful that soil became. Pretty soon there's probably a nine to 12 inch base of loamy rich soil. And we laid the sod on top of that and it grew like crazy. I remember one day being out there rototilling and thinking about this analogy. That's how it is with God's word. That as we begin to work God's word into our hard hearts, it begins to break up the hardness of our hearts. And the more we work it in, the softer and the the more rich our soul becomes. It becomes a place where God's word can take root and grow and we can become like Christ. So I want to talk to you just real quickly about how to work God's word into your life. Now, if you've been a Christian a long time and, and being in the word is an established discipline in your life, some of these things are going to seem obvious. But I'll tell you what, as we start this journey together, I don't want to take anything for, for granted. I want us all to go on this journey together, not some of us. I want us all, and we all have to be working God's word into our life if we're going to achieve what God has for us here at Rocky Peak. And so let me give you five practical tips. Number one. The first one is to buy a good Bible. Now, if you can't understand the one you have, that's probably not a good Bible. Um, You know, if your great-grandfather gave you one that's a family treasure, that's really cool. Keep it on the bookshelf. But you need to find one that you can understand, a good translation that's accurate but real readable. Now, Um, if you're not sure where to start, I'm giving you some real practical suggestions. Here's what I would suggest. I would suggest that you get the New International Version, and that's abbreviated NIV. There, it's on your note sheet, the NIV Study Bible. It's a good translation, but what's even better is it has all these study notes in it. I call them pastor in a box. Because it's sort of like having a pastor there. You know, like we do, we went over Joshua today. So here's what's going on in Joshua's life. They're going through this transition. Well, they have these notes tell you the same kind of thing. So it's like having a pastor in a box. When you read your Bible, you can kind of get, get, the, get the feel of what's going on there. It's got references of other scriptures that talk about the same thing. Uh, another choice, oh, by the way, you can get those at like Costco for less than 40 bucks. 
like the best investment you'll ever make in your life. Um, so um, then you come back next week and get the tabs for 45, you're good. So um, the second one is the NIV Life Application Bible. That's the same version of the Bible, same translation, a little different set of notes. Um, they're, they're also good notes, more application-oriented, but you may prefer that one. A third one would be a different translation. It's NLT, the New Living Translation. It's perhaps not quite as accurate, but it's much more readable. And so if you're just not a real good reader, and that's probably many of us in this room, as reading's real hard for you, get that one. And it, it also will have good notes in it. We also have, if you just want to get something for this week, real, uh, you know, real quickly at the tape table afterwards or tape uh, a counter out here, uh, we have NIV Bibles, just you know, inexpensive ones for $5. And, uh, and then that's next week we'll have the tabs there as well. So, okay, that's, that's number one. Get a Bible that makes sense to you, that you can understand. Number two. The second thing is learn to mark it up. Um, I want you to start using your Bible as a textbook on life. Uh, it's not something to put on the coffee shelf and just look pretty, kind of a religious ornament for you know, the dashboard of our life. It is a, it's a textbook, and that's why God gave it to us, it's, uh, to stu- study it, to meditate on it. And, and for most people, I think it helps if you mark it up. You know, I use colored pencils and pens, and I don't have any, you know, it's a, there's no like order to my color pen, just whatever color looks good. But let's um, mark it up, highlight it, uh, write notes. When God shows you something, you're in a sermon, and God really speaks to your heart. Write the date down on what God showed you. When you're studying and there's a note there, you, you, the, something that you learned, write it down in the margin. When you're reading in Matthew, and it, oh, that reminds me of something that Paul said in Galatians. Put a little mark there and say Galatians 3.9 and then go over to Galatians 3.9 and put Matthew 11.12 and, and start your own cross-reference system. Mark it up. When we're in the service together and I say underline it, underline it. Why? Because what we're doing is a textbook on life. You see? And this is the most important textbook you've ever had. And so you need to get comfortable with that. I mentioned about the tabs, I was deadly serious about that. If you are a newer believer or you've never really become a student of God's word, it is so helpful because as we're sitting here and I say, turn to Deuteronomy and turn to Proverbs, you know, I can tell you how you feel right now. You can feel, you feel very insecure. You feel second class. You feel like you don't really know. So you start flipping through your Bible just to look like you're doing something. And the half the time you just kind of open up somewhere and you act like you're reading. Because, you know, you don't, you don't want, you're all laughing, yeah, but he really knows this already. Um, but, you know, I, I've talked to so many people who say, what a difference it makes. When you say, turn to Deuteronomy, I could find it right there. I was there. I felt like I was part of the club, you know. And so, what a simple thing for five bucks to feel part of the club. You can't get a membership like that anywhere. All right, number three. Find the time, place, and way that works best for you. Find the time, find the place, and find the way that works best for you. Hey, we're all different. Have you noticed that? Some of us are more different than others, but we're all different. And so the way we study God's word needs to be different too. Some of you are morning people. You wake up, you know, 5.30 in the morning. You're probably called to be an elder. Um, LAUGHTER well, if you're an elder, you'll probably naturally wake up at 4.30 so you can have a shower and drive and get your Starbucks before 5.30. <laughs> but you wake up early, and the moment you wake up, you are ready to go. Your mind is on the go. Your best creative thinking happens the moment you step up, you get in the shower, your mind's going, and you're just wired that way. Some of you are not that way. It says, like, for some of you, it doesn't matter when you wake up. 
you don't get up until 11 o'clock. You know what I'm saying? And so if you're wired that way, it doesn't make a lot of sense to get up and jump into God's word. It's like you're not going to remember what you, you, you know, what you read anyway. And so you got to find, well, well what, how are you wired? How is God wired? And some of us are more loner people. And, and you're going to learn best on your own. You're going to get the Bible out, study on your own. And that's going to be a very effective way for you. You know, some of you, you're very extroverted. The way you learn best is in a group. And so you need to be in a group that's studying God's word. Some of you are very, you're kind of academic minded, you're big time readers and you're going you're gonna to read through the Bible in a year and you're going to read through things and you can have the ability to remember what you read and, and correlate things and that's really cool. Some of you, it's not like that and so you're not a big time reader and, and you're not going to be someone who knows the Bible cover to cover. That's not what God's called you to be. He's given you other gifts but here's what's going to happen for you. You're going to be in, a, in the weekend message. You're going to be in your life group. You're going to be reading your Bible during the week and a particular verse stands out to you. And for you, it's going to work really well is to write that on a three-by-five card and memorize that verse and to begin to meditate on that verse. I'd rather have you know 10 verses well in the Bible and have them worked into your life well than know the whole Bible and have it not worked in. You see? You see what I'm saying is that too many times in the Christian community, we'll have someone come up to us and they'll say, this is the way you have to do it. This works for me. And we feel all guilty because that's not who we are. You see? It's very helpful to, have, to share with each other how it works for you. In fact, in your life groups this week, we wrote a question about to help you do that. Here's how it works best for me. It's so helpful because you can learn from others. It gives you different models to choose from. But you have to find your way. No one else can do it for you. And you have to go before God and say, God, I really want to work your word in my life. Would you help me figure out how best to do that? But it's so important that we do find our way. I love what John Ortberg says, the quote there on your note sheet, I have never known someone leading a spiritually transformed life who has not been deeply saturated in scripture. It's kind of like exercise. You know, we all know we need exercise, right? We all agree to that. Exercise is a good thing. We all need it to be healthy. Everyone agrees on that. But you know, how you exercise, you have to figure that out. This gets someone to come, oh, you gotta be in a gym. And you're like, oh, you would never make it in a gym. Someone says, well, I swim, you know, four times a week. Well, good for you. I drowned if I would do that, you know? <laughs> Some others, oh, you have to run. So it's, it's, but it's not about how you do it. It's that you get exercise, you see? And same with the word of God. It's not how you get it into your life. It's that you find a way that works for you. You know, one of the best places to start, especially if you're new at this, is the first place I would suggest you to start is just come to church every week. You know, some of you here, uh, if it's like most churches, we'll have some people, especially in a church like this, and maybe you come once a month or twice a month. You come when there's nothing else going on. And, and the first thing you need to do is just be at church every week because every week we're gonna unpack the word together. That's just the first simple step. Just be at church. And I'll tell you, the next step is join a life group. And I'll tell you why. Because here's what happens. Like today, we're studying in here the Word of God. And we're studying how it's a lot of life. Now, I want you to reach inside your bulletin. I want you to pull out your life group homework. I just want you to see this. It's a cream-colored sheet, life group homework, like this. See it? Now, what we're going to do every week is in this homework, we're going to take the same basic idea that we talked about in the weekend, and we're going to develop it. And there's going to be some other passages in there. Like if you open up, open up to the first page on the inside, you can see some passages of Scripture. You've got Psalm 1, 1 to 3, and 
Matthew 4, 1 to 11, and 2 Timothy. There's gonna be some other passages that drive home the same point that we've been talking about. And then there's gonna be some practical application questions about how is that working out in your life? And every week, you're gonna, now here's what happens. Let's say you come to church, you hear the message today. Now you go home, in the next two or three days, sometime you take 30 to 60 minutes, you do your life group homework, you get into the same topic again, you study the Bible on your own. And then you come to your, your life group and you roll up your sleeves and you, you share together what you've learned. You see what we've just done? Three times in a short span, we have focused on one topic and really worked it into our life well. And I'm telling you what, you're gonna be amazed there's gonna be four weeks from now, you'll still remember what you learned today because we did it three times. I'll tell you, at North Coast, it was amazing. We started doing this 15 years ago. I'll tell you what, I couldn't tell you what the sermon was about by Sunday afternoon. But you know, after that, after we started doing this, people were coming up weeks later. Remember when you taught on this, how it changed my life? Remember you taught on this, how it changed? Why? Because we're working God's word into our life. Now, number four. The fourth suggestion is to start slowly. Now you might expect me to say something different. I'm a pastor, I'm out of touch with reality anyway. So, um, you know, you, you might suggest that, hey, God's word, it's the key to life. And so I want you in the word. You need to be in the word an hour a day, 5.30 in the morning. It's the only time Jesus shows up. Uh, Pacific Standard Time, that's elder time. Let's be there. And, uh, and so you'd expect me to try to twist your arm and really guilt you out to start fast. But I'm gonna tell you exactly the opposite. I could care less, could care less how fast you jump into God's word. What I care about is three years from now, what you're still doing. And the key to that is starting slowly. Did you know that it takes, if you wanna change an area of your life, you wanna institute a new habit into your life, like exercise or eating differently or something like that, or spiritual exercise, like a spiritual discipline, spiritual habit, do you know that it takes 30 to 60 days to make it stick? It takes 30 to 60 days to make a new habit stick. Well, research has shown this. And so if you wanna work the word in your life, you have to figure out a way to do it for the next 30 to 60 days. Because somewhere in that 30 to 60 days, it's gonna become a habit. Now that's why it's so important that you don't bite off more than you can chew. If you, if you go out of here and say, okay, I'm gonna get up tomorrow morning, 5.30 every day, a half an hour in God's word, you know what? By about day four, when you're falling asleep over your Bible, that habit's gonna be God. I'll tell you what, this is what'll make me happy. If you come up to me afterwards and say, I'm gonna make a commitment, I'm gonna read God's word five minutes a day, at least five days a week, I'm gonna be elated. Because you can always go longer. You can, if you're getting into it and God's showing you stuff, and you, wanna go, you can always go longer, just five minutes a day. Anyone can do five minutes a day, right? I mean, we can do five minutes a day no matter what. But if we would just do five minutes a day, guess what? In 60 days, by 60 days, that'd be a part of your habit, part of your routine, kind of like brushing your teeth for most of us. <laughs> and you would be on your way to working God's word into your life. Okay. Now, number five. The last one, I won't spend a lot of time here because we're gonna be talking about it a lot next week, but I wanna introduce the topic and what's your appetite? By the way, don't miss next week. Don't miss, and law number two, the law of obedience, one of my favorite laws. It's, it's, it's obedience that opens up the door to experiencing God in a firsthand way in our life. You don't wanna miss this, it's, I'm telling you. I'll, I'll probably say that every week. Anyway, um, <clears throat> but law number five goes like this. Listen for the voice of God and then obey. 
Let me tell you, when we read the Bible, we're not, this is not an academic exercise. We are not reading so we all become mini Bible scholars. That's not the goal. The goal when we come to God's word is to say, speak, Lord, for your servants listening. The, the goal is to say, God, what do you want to say to me about any area of my life? I'm opening it up. I'm coming to your word. Is there anything you want to say today? And there may be many days that there's nothing he says. You just read the word. You build to your word knowledge, and that's fine. But, you need, but there are going to be certain days where he's going to show you something that impacts your life, and you'll have a decision to make. It's so important that when he does that, we obey. And we'll talk next week why that is. But let me give you a preview, and it's very simple, that God speaks to one kind of person and one kind of person alone, and that's the person who does what he tells them. If we do what he shows us, he'll show us more. If we ignore what he tells us, he will quit telling us even the thing he just told us. We'll talk about that more next weekend. So when you read, read to listen and then to obey. Look what Dallas Willard says, one of my favorite writers, authors, probably familiar with him, USC prof, one of the greatest Christian thinkers in the world today in my, in my view. But he says, we will be spiritually safe in our use of the Bible if we follow this simple rule to read with a submissive attitude. Read with a readiness to surrender all you are, your plans, your opinions. Well, that's not what I was taught. Well, who cares? It's what the Bible says. Possessions, positions. Study as intelligently as possible. In other words, use your brain with all available means. Use your study Bibles. Use your commentary, whatever. You know, we're, we're to be thinking Christians. But he says, but never study merely to find the truth and especially not just to prove something. Subordinate your desire to find the truth to your desire to do it. And that is law one, the law of life, that the word of God leads to, leads to life. And my prayer for us as a congregation, we would embrace this law and we would come week after week and we'd be sharing with one another what God is teaching us in our own study of the word. And we would soon be running in the path of his commands, not resenting, not resisting, because our eyes have been opened to see it is a path that leads to freedom. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time to be together. What a... Uh, what a joy, really. It's a privilege to be here together. God, I am so thankful to be here. I'm so thankful for these people. And I'm so thankful for this journey that you're leading us on, this transition from a very difficult time in the life of this church, sort of a wilderness experience the last couple of years, into a new era, to an era of a promised land. And God, we sense it. We sense it. We sense you are on the move. And we so much want to run with hearts full into the path of your commands. God, would you open our eyes so we can run. We not resent, not resist, but we run with full heart, full steam, sprinting into the path of life that's marked out by your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Mike. Thanks, brother. If you'd grab that, let's keep in touch card out.